Malkenu. Repeat after me. Avinu Malkenu. Our Father and our King. Give me eyes to see, ears to hear, and heart to perceive, and the will to obey your word today. In Yeshua's name, amen. I thought I'd put that up there. Thank you, Dan. So uh, this mes- the message this morning is entitled, Good News, Bad News. And we all know that saying, you know, I have good news and I have bad news for you. What do you want to hear first? Well, I'm going to give you the bad news first because I like ending with the good news. Uh, the subtitle of this message is, The Battle is Real, but Victories is Yours. And... Um, my text this morning comes from our Haftor reading, and it's one verse, Yeshiahu Isaiah 54, 17. And we're going to go through this verse, and by the end of this message, I'm going to give you my translation of this verse, but sharing from uh, another uh, translation, no weapon formed against you. Can we read this together? No weapon formed against you shall prosper, and every tongue which rises against you in judgment, you shall condemn. This is the heritage of the servants of the Lord, and their righteousness is from me, says the Lord. God, I pray your anointing on this message, God. I pray it would go forth and accomplish exactly what you desire it to do. I pray that our hearts would be encouraged, God, uh, through your word today, Lord, and that you would uh, change us, God, as a result of the word that we hear today. In Yeshua's name, amen. Now, in context, I want to say right up front, we know that this verse applies specifically to the city of Jerusalem. If you read through uh, Isaiah 54, as we read in the Haftor reading, so it's applying specifically to the city of Jerusalem and to the nation of Israel in an extended way. And uh, in this day and age, how powerful this verse is for the nation of Israel and for us as a Jewish people. Uh, but the spiritual principles are principles that apply to you and me, whether we're Jewish or not Jewish at all. So we're going to look at those spiritual principles, again, knowing in context that, context that it refers to Jerusalem, but God wants to encourage your heart today uh, about the good news that he has for you. But i got to start out with the bad news. The bad news is that there are weapons that have been formed against us, And there are accusations that are being brought against us to bring us down to defeat us. So I begin to think, you know, what does this word weapon mean? In the Hebrew, it's a very simple word, kli, is used there. And it's really uh, simply translated as a vessel. Sometimes it's uh, translated as furnishings, like in a room, as armor, an armor bearer, a place of equipment, or a pot. But it comes from a verb form that means to finish something. And when that verb is used in the negative sense, it means to consume something, like you finish and ate the whole pie, right? Left nothing. <laughs> so you consumed it, right? So that's the whole connotation. So in a negative way, to consume something. So a weapon is something that is meant to consume you and me. And then the next word there, the Hebrew word formed, has this con- connotation of being created for a specific task. So I have translated this phrase as everything created with the intention of consuming you and finishing you off. Okay? So everything, everything 
that was created specifically with the intention of consuming you and finishing you off. Those are the weapons. And friends, they're real. And they are there in your life and in my life. The scriptures tell us in 2 Corinthians 2.11 that we are not unaware of the schemes of the evil one. Adonai wants to remind you and me of that truth this morning. I'm going to look at some of the weapons of the enemy, not because I want to give him any type of honor or kudos, but sometimes we just accept things as a part of life and don't connect what is happening in our lives to the spiritual battle that we are a part of. And by examining these weapons this morning, my hope is that you will recognize the schemes of the evil one. You see what Rob Shaul says? Let's read that verse together. We are not unaware of the schemes of the evil one. I want you to leave this place knowing the weapons that hell has formed against you so that you can see them defeated in your life. So we want to to know these things so that we can be victorious. We're told by Yeshua and Yochanan that the devil comes to steal, kill, and destroy and that he has created weapons to use against the Kiddoshim, the holy ones. That's against you and me. And the intent of these weapons is to make me and you to give up. Look at what we are told in Daniel 7.25. And it talks about the enemy. It says that he will speak words against the Most High and try to exhaust. Say that word with me. Exhaust. The holy ones of the Most High. So the weapons of the mini, of the enemy, yes, of the enemy, are meant to exhaust us, to wear us out, to get us to a point where we give up. Not that we totally walk away from our faith, but we just begin to exist in life that we don't resist him. We don't seek to uh, take away from him the things that he has stolen from us, that we tolerate him and his operations in our lives. So the enemy uses these weapons to exhaust us so that we won't fight against him. And again, we just exist in life and accept these things as like, oh, well, everyone else is facing these things. I guess I must face them too. It's just a part of life. Well, I want to tell you that's the furthest thing from the truth this morning. Yes, they're a part of life, but you do not have to accept it as something that you have to tolerate in your walk and your existence here on planet Earth. So let's look at a few of these weapons this morning as we focus on this bad news before we get to the good news. The first one is discouragement. I just finished reading the books of Ezra and Nehemiah uh, last week. And you think about Nehemiah and the remnant rebuilding the walls there. And Sanballat and his cohorts constantly came to discourage the work that was there. In chapter 4, it says in verses 2 and 3 that before his kinsmen and the army of Shomron, he, meaning Sanballat, said, What are these pathetic Judeans doing? Are they going to rebuild anything they want? Are they going to sacrifice? Are they going to finish today? <coughs> Are they going to recover useful stones from the piles of rubber 
rubble, burned rubble at that. And Toviah the Ammonite was with them, and he said, whatever they're building, why, if even a fox went up on it, he'd knock that stone wall down. You see, the enemy is good at bringing discouragement by ridiculing our efforts. Really? You think you can do that? You don't have anyone to help you. You're all alone. You're too weak. Look at what you've done. It's so insignificant. Look, at after all this time and this effort, this is all that exists. You think you're really going to accomplish anything? And on and on he goes, trying to discourage us. I shared at the last woman's uh, meeting that the two weeks before that meeting, I really struggled with discouragement. And uh, I knew it was discouragement, and I could feel that I was discouraged. And it was like I just could not shake out of it. And it was like I was sort of out of my body watching in the sense of spiritual things. So I'm looking, and I'm saying, okay, I know, you know, and you know what this is, but, you know, just don't. But it was just like attached to me, and like I just couldn't get out of it. It was really the enemy coming against me with this spirit of discouragement. And I want to tell you, I didn't like it. You know, I don't like being discouraged. I don't know about you, but it's not a good feeling to walk around being discouraged. And one day I was walking by the living room and uh, my family was listening to a a speaker uh, preaching a message. And there was one phrase he said, and I don't even remember what the phrase was, but the minute I heard the phrase like that, that discouragement snapped off me. And, uh, and I was like, thank you, God. Because, again, discouragement doesn't feel good. And so the enemy wants to heap that on us. It's one of his weapons because it immobilizes us from fighting against him and from walking in the power and anointing of the Holy Spirit. It's not normal to walk around feeling discouraged. I just want to tell you that. If you're walking around feeling discouraged, it's not normal for the child of God. It's from hell. The second thing that, that God brought to my mind is sickness. I said to my husband uh, yesterday, Thursday, I really feel we should pray for healing. I mean, we do pray uh, every week anyway, but I wanted to really target sickness and disease. Sickness is from the pit of hell. We see in the book of Matthew how Cephas' mother-in-law was sick in bed. It says that Yeshua went to Cephas' home and there saw Cephas' mother-in-law sick in bed with a fever. But he touched her hand, the fever left her, and she got up and began helping him. See what happened when she was sick, she couldn't do anything. When he, the sickness left her, she got up immediately and began to help Yeshua. Sickness weighs you down. When you are not feeling good, when you have pains and aches and sickness and disease in your body, um, it is hard to focus on the kingdom of God. It is hard uh, to press forward into what God has for you. And so we need to recognize that the enemy puts sickness and disease and pain in our bodies. Now, I'm not saying that every sickness is demonic in origin on the one hand. But we live in a fallen world, and living in the fallen world, part of that fallen world is sickness and disease. And one of the first promises that God made to the Jewish people as we came out of Mitzrayim is that he would remove, say with me, remove, remove, say it a little louder, remove all sickness and disease from their bodies. And uh, so it's not that every, there's a demon behind every sickness, but it is part of the fallen world. And in the new covenant time, 
the people were so much more in tune to the spiritual realm. They didn't get blown away when Yeshua came and the man was sick and he, ca- he spoke to the de- demon and cast it out and the man was healed. So I know there's a balance there, but I am here to tell you, never, ever, 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 say it with me, never, ever, ever, ever is sickness from God. There is no sickness in heaven. God cannot give you what he does not have. Sickness is never from God. And the enemy uses sickness to hinder us from just even to worship God. When you are not feeling good, it is hard to even lift your voice up and worship to God. And so these are one of the weapons that he uses. That is why we feel strongly to pray and to believe for healing that God wants to and has anointed this place for, uh, for healing. That's why we put on our app the healing creed. That's why we put it out in print form sometimes in the foyer. And we have encouraged many of you to speak that healing creed over your, your body. Again, it's just healing scriptures put together because it works. God is a God who heals, and the enemy uses sickness to make us ineffective. The next thing that he uses is doubt and unbelief. I thought of the story of Kepha walking on the water. Remember the Talmudim got in the boat and went on the cross, and Yeshua comes, and they think he's a ghost, and they're frightened, and Yeshua says, oh, no, no, it's me. And Yeshua says, uh, Kepha says to Yeshua, then if it's you, tell me to come. And verse 29, come, he said. So Kepha got out of the boat and walked on the water towards Yeshua. But when he saw the wind, he became afraid. And as he began to sink, he yelled, Lord, save me. And Yeshua immediately stretched out his hand and took hold of him. And listen to what he said to Kepha. Such little faith, such little trust. Why did you doubt? I believe that doubt and unbelief are behind every strategy of hell. If he can sow one little seed of doubt in your mind and your spirit and my heart and spirit, then he has us. The enemy wants us to doubt God's ability to heal, his ability to provide for us, his ability to fulfill his promise in our lives, and he wants us to doubt the very word of God. What did the enemy say to Chava, to Eve, in Bereshit? In the Garden of Eden. Did God really say? Doubt and unbelief. He is always trying to undermine the word of God and the character of God in our minds and in our spirit. He wants us to doubt whether God is good. As we sung today, he is forever good and whether his word is true for our lives. So he gets us to a point where often we will say, yes, God is good to everyone else, and his word is fulfilled in everyone else's life, but not mine. That's a spirit of doubt and unbelief. And doubt and unbelief, again, immobilizes us, and so the enemy uses this weapon effectively. The next weapon that he uses Tremendously is division and strife. Mark 3.25, Yeshua said, If a kingdom or house is divided against itself, that kingdom, that house, cannot, say with me, cannot survive. 
take a look at our world today. Here in 2017, it is easy to see strife and division here in the United States of America and in the world around. Another terrorist attack just two days ago there in Spain. Uh, the thing that happened in uh, last weekend in Charlottesville. It's just amazing the division and strife from both sides, the hatred that is there, because the enemy knows a house divided, a kingdom, a nation divided, it will not survive. So he really works overtime to bring division, starting with the, the family unit. So husband against wife, wife against husband, parent against child, child against parent, and within the nation. So, you know, I don't care what your political view is. You may not be the same as me uh, uh, politically. God wants us to walk in unity. The enemy wants us to be divided because divided he will destroy us. Or we will destroy ourselves, should I more rightly say. So the enemy effectively uses division uh, as a, a weapon against people. Division will destroy a family, a business, a congregation, a community, a nation. Quickly, a few other weapons, and then we're going to look at the good news. He uses financial lack. He tries to devour our finances. He gets us to withhold our tithe and, and offering, knowing that opens the door for him. If you don't tithe and give the offering, you've opened the door for the devourer. And yet, for those who are faithful in giving the tithe and offering, he will still try to steal away from you with unexpected bills and expenses and uh, uh, taking away your promotions, etc., so that you become so weighed down with concern about how you're going to pay your bills and how you will make in and to meet. And he makes you doubt. It goes back again. That's why doubt and unbelief is behind all of these strategies. He makes you doubt uh, God's ability to provide for you. And, and, and you give in to a spirit of poverty instead of speaking increase and receiving the abundance that God has for you. Uh, you give in to that spirit, again, of doubt and unbelief and poverty. He uses unworthiness, low self-esteem. He's the voice that says, you're not good enough. God's not pleased with you. No one likes you. You might as well stay home because he likes to isolate you. You should never, ever stay home. Take it from your rabbi. Okay? And, you know, you should be here before service starts. Take it from your rabbi. Okay? Because God has something for you during worship. And we just did that series in worship. And here's just a gentle encouragement. Get here on time for worship. Okay? Because worship, it just breaks things off of us. And so it just, but the enemy gets us going with these doubts of our, our worth in God. And I spent about a month and a half texting the women about their identity in Messiah. He uses hindrances. Rob Shaul talked about the hindrances the enemy put his way to preach the good news. He will use people, government officials, etc., to stop the spread of the Bisarah and to stop you and I from following faithfully after Adonai hindrances. He uses pride. Think about it. Hasatan is a prideful in individual. His pride led him to being kicked out of heaven. So he uses this weapon to get us to think that we are so much better than anyone else. We don't need to repent or seek God anymore. It's the voice that's in your head right now saying, Oh, you don't really need this message. 
You've heard this before. You know, that person across the aisle, they need this message. See, that's pride. Everyone look at me. You need this message. This message is for you. You are here because God wants you to hear this message. And for those listening to this on the podcast, I'm going to tell you, you need to hear this message. I've heard so many times throughout my many, many years of ministry and being in the kingdom, oh, Rabbi Carol, I've read the Bible. I know that already. Friends, that's the spirit of pride. And pride is a powerful weapon because it prevents us from all that God has for us. And the final weapon, I think, is one of his greatest tools is deception. Ephesians 6, 11 We are encouraged to use all the armor and weaponry that God provides us. Why? So that you will be able to stand against the deceptive attacks of the adversary. From Bereshit to Revelation, this is one of the greatest tools against us. Think about it. He is called the father of lies. That means there is absolutely no truth in Hasatan or in his minions. But unfortunately, he deceives Many, many believers. I have to tell you, in the last couple months, my heart has been crushed looking at the state of the body of Messiah. And as I said, I just finished reading the book of Ezra and Nehemiah, and both of them were also crushed by what they saw the children of Israel doing from the leaders on down. And they prayed a prayer of repentance. And I know God has led me to repent personally for the sins of the body of Messiah, which I'm a part about, because the body of Messiah, we're the ones that are calling that which is good evil and that which is evil good. We are the ones who have tolerated sinful behavior because of the pressure in our society instead of lovingly speaking the truth and confronting the evil. And uh, there are many who are deceived. And, and, and we are told, Yeshua says, that the very elect the enemy would try to deceive. That's why we must be watchful and understand his strategies and his tactics to bring deception uh, to us. And the other bad news is that there are accusations that are be brought against you. As I said, this verse applies to Israel and to Jerusalem, and we can certainly see that in the modern-day uh, Israel, I shared with the youth, we are going through the book of Daniel on uh, Wednesday nights. And uh, on this past Wednesday night, we got to talking a little bit about anti-Semitism. And in the first quarter of 2017, anti-Semitic acts and behavior and rhetoric increased 86% in America from the first quarter of 2016. The greatest increase of these incidents were in schools with children's, teens, and colleges. Right? Spinning the truth and speaking against Israel. Again, that's the context of this, of this, this verse. And that's why we, who are watchmen on the wall, cannot be silent, right, and must speak. But as I said, these principles apply to us, and we have an accuser who wants to come against us. 
And it says here <coughs> that every tongue that rises up against you. One writer said the tongue can be effectively used as a weapon because life and death are in the power of the tongue. And we know that the book of Yaakov in the New Covenant tells us that the tongue is an unruly member. Hasatan is called the accuser of the, the Kiddushim, of the Holy Ones. And he is behind these accusations, whether they come from someone in the flesh and blood, like a co-worker, a family member, a friend, an acquaintance, or whether they are thoughts in your minds. He is constantly working to bring accusation against you and me. And these accusations are meant to destroy the life of God in us and to immobilize us. I'm sure many of us have fallen prey to this spirit of hell. I shudder to think of the many accusations that have come my way through the many years of ministry that were hurtful, first of all, and that were meant to debilitate me and to stop me in my tracks. And those accusations still continue to come. These accusations are meant to stop the divine purposes of God in you and in me. One writer said it this way, the devil is a slanderer. The accuser of our brethren, as Yochanan writes in Revelation 12, 10, and he carries out his nefarious task day and night. Not only does he accuse us before the throne of God, but he accuses us to ourselves. Rav Shaul says he is capable of shooting fiery missiles into our mind. And doubtless many of our self-defeating thoughts come from the bow of his demonic minions. He ever seeks to accuse us, to pile guilt upon guilt, continually prompting shame and continually coming against us with a desire to destroy us and our witness for the Lord. The enemy comes to destroy you with his words. Again, whether he speaks them in your mind or he uses other people to bring accusation after accusation against who you are as a child of God. That is the bad news, friends, but I want you to hear the good news now. Yes, a few of you are excited. Sorry, I didn't mean to bum you out here, but you need to recognize these strategies. Again, Rob Shul, we're not unaware of the schemes. This is what the devil does. But the good news is that while it's true that we have an enemy who's devised these weapons against us to bring defeat into our lives and who is constantly harassing us, the story doesn't stop there. So let's look at the back of this verse. It says, no weapon formed against you will prosper. The word for prosper means to accomplish satisfactorily what something was intended to do. So when you put that with that first part of the verse, this is how I translate it. Everything created with the intention of consuming you and finishing you off will not accomplish what it was intended to do against you. Amen? In our prayer that we say here, be not afraid, it's a short little prayer. And in that prayer, we're speaking to the enemy. And some of us may not really get, get it because the prayer is so short. But in it, we say, do your scheming. It will be broken. And this is from one of the prophets, I believe, Isaiah. Make your plan. It will not succeed. Now, this is not a prayer of arrogance, 
but one of confidence in the word of God that the strategies of hell will not prevail against us, that not one of the enemy's weapons will succeed. Yes, he's going to keep trying and trying. He will be relentless. Let me tell you, the bad news is these weapons are real, and he's going to use them against you day and night, night and day. But the good news is they will not, say with me, they will not succeed. And then it says, every tongue you will refute. The word here is tarshishi. It's a hiffle form of the verb. And you're like, well, what in the heck does that mean, Rabbi Carol? I'm going to tell you. What it means is that we can fight in a very effective manner so the enemy suffers defeat or great loss. That's powerful, right? So the second part of the the verse, I translate like this. You will effectively fight and defeat the enemy who is accusing you and make him suffer great loss. Right? See, that's the good news. Yeah, that tongue is going to rise in accusation. Yes, those weapons are going to be used against you, but they're not going to achieve what they were sent to do. And those accusations, you are going to make the enemy suffer defeat because of them and suffer great loss. So when I put the whole first half of the verse together, this is what I have. Go to the next one, Dan. So read this with me. Everything created with the intention of consuming you and finishing you off will not accomplish what it was intended to do against you. You will effectively fight and defeat the enemy who is accusing you and make him suffer great loss. Woo, that's good news, friends. That's who you and I are this morning, able to do this. We need to just put I in there. So the next phrase of this verse, it says, This is the inheritance of the servants of Adonai. Zot nachalat avdei Adonai. And one writer shared that inheritance here means something which is one's by virtue of ancient right, and it's someone's permanently. In other words, it cannot be taken away. So this is how I translate that phrase. This is what rightfully belongs to the servants of Adonai, and it cannot be taken away from you. See, what is God telling us? Your victory is your right as a child of the King Most High. See, the enemy wants you to think that you are powerless and that you cannot stand up against him, that his weapons are too strong and too powerful for you, his accusations that he lashes out at with you and, and keeps speaking to wear you down. He wants you to think there's nothing you can do about it. But God wants you to know today that your victory, your power over the scheme of the evil one and over every strategy and every weapon he has, that it is your inheritance from him, your heavenly father, and it is something that cannot be taken away from you. And that's something to hoop and holler about. Okay, I'll hoop and holler. Woo-woo! And the last phrase here. And we're getting ready to close here in a few minutes. Talks about the justice or righteousness. And it's a familiar word to us, tzedakah. And the root of the word means to be straight. And it's often 
translated as righteousness, but many times it's translated as justice or vindication, which I believe is a better translation of the word here in this passage. And uh, there are a lot of translations that translate it that way because Adonai is saying that he is the one who will vindicate us. So the last phrase of this uh, verse I translate as your exoneration, your vindication comes from me, says Adonai. So when I put this whole verse together, this is my translation. Everything created with the intention of consuming you and finishing you off will not accomplish what it was intended to do against you. This is what rightfully belongs to the servants of Adonai, and it cannot be taken away from you. Your exoneration comes from me, says Adonai. That is powerful. This is the good news that God wants to give to you and me this morning, that he's telling us that he will lead us to victory. Malachi 4.12 says, But for you who fear my name, the son of righteousness, Sadaka, that same word that is used here in Isaiah 54, the son of justice will rise with healing in his wings, and you will go forth and skip and be set free like calves from the stall. I want to tell you, if you came up for prayer for healing today, God is your healer. He is your healer. Receive the healing that he wants to impart into your body. He tells us, That we are, again, the ones who are to walk in victory. I see the attack of hells in your life is what God wants us to hear this morning. I know that they are real. And he says, I know that some of you are feeling down and as if you cannot go on any longer. But hear my word to you this morning. These attacks, God says, will not succeed. He wants to say to each one of us, do not give up in the battle. You are more powerful than anything the enemy can throw your way. He says to each one of us listening to this message, again, whether in this sanctuary or by podcast, your victory comes from me. And I want to encourage us with a couple more verses as I close this message out from the New Covenant, Yochanan Allah, 1 John 4, 4. It says, you children are from God and have overcome the false prophets or the enemy because he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. Here, Adonai reminds us, first of all, that we are from him. We are his children. We are heirs of his goodness and of his promises. You know, the enemy's weapons are meant to make us forget who we are in Messiah. God wants to encourage each of us, stand as the child of God Most High that you are. Your father is the king of kings, the Lord of lords, the creator of the universe. There is no one and nothing who can stand before him. So think about it. You're his child. So if they can't stand before him, do you think they can stand before you? I don't know about about you, but my father was a pretty, pretty protective father. And I see that in my husband. And uh, my father would not let anything happen to me as his child. My husband is very protective of his own children. How much more is our heavenly father not only protective of us, but he is able to lead us into victory because my father, earthly father, as, as awesome as I thought he was and as strong as I thought he was, and my husband, as awesome and as strong as I think he is on behalf of my children, they're just humans. They're, they, their power has limits. But your father in heaven has no limits. 
to his power and to his authority. And he says, I am in you, and I am greater than anything in this world. There is no power of darkness that can stand before your Father. And as he is walking in victory, so you and I are called to walk in victory. And then he tells us in Romans 8, 37, in all these things, what things is Rav Shaul talking about? Well, if you read the rest of Romans chapter 8, you'll, say, you'll see it's these trials and tribulations, the weapons that the enemy has used against him. He says, in all these things, we are super conquerors. Turn to your neighbor and say, you are a super conqueror. Through the one who loved us. The Amplified Bible puts it this way, yet amid all these things, we are more than conquerors and gain a surpassing victory. Through him who loved us. The battle again is real. The attacks of hell are real. He has weapons that he uses and unfortunately uses effectively. But God again says no matter how hard the enemy is coming against you. No matter what he's throwing at you. You are a super conqueror. You are victorious. One writer describes this Greek, Greek word, which a lot of us have probably heard because it's used a lot of the messages, hooper nikeo. It means one who is super victorious, who wins more than an ordinary victory, and who is overpowered in achieving abundant victory. It describes a lopsided victory. You like some of those Super Bowl games? Yeah, football season is going to be starting soon. Okay, now... If the Chiefs don't make it, I'm not that interested in the Super Bowl. But we'll watch it. But if it's one of those lopsided games where that you know it's a blowout, it's, there's no interest in that game, right? Who who wants to watch a game like that? We don't. But this is the type of victory that God is talking about. It is a lopsided victory. In other words, you are so overpowering the enemy. So they thought it was going to be a tight game, you know, 21 to 20. No, it was like 57 to zero. Well, that's the type of victory that God says you and I have over the enemy. It's a lopsided victory because we are super conquerors. Whew. And it's not a language of conceit. It's a language of confidence. Confidence, not in me. Again, I'm a puny human being. But my confidence is in God. Again, the creator of the heavens and the earth, he spoke. And the world came into existence. So there is nothing that I am facing in life that he cannot lead me into victory through. Nothing is too difficult for him. Another writer says of this verse from Romans 8, if we barely manage to win our way to heaven by the skin of our teeth, we could say we are conquerors. But a more than conqueror is someone who takes the worst that life can throw at him and uses that to become victorious. More than a conqueror is one who by the grace and gift of God and in the strength of God within him actually takes the very things that are designed to destroy him, the things the enemy throws your way, and they become stepping stones instead of stumbling blocks. That's what makes you more than a conqueror. So hell wants to throw their, those fiery darts at. What do you do? You grab that dart and you take it and you use it as a stepping stone to go, uh, go further, right? You stick it in the side of the rock, uh, rock and, you, and, you, and you put your foot on it and you climb higher. The next one you take it and you stick it and you pull yourself up higher. And you're using everything he throws at you to propel you forward into the things that God. 
And we achieve this victory because of the one who loves us. And that's what Isaiah is saying here. God is your vindicator because he loves you and he's going to bring you to complete victory in every area of our life. And I want you to understand that God does not want partial victory. He has come to give us life, life abundantly. And yes, that includes eternal life. But here on this earth, God wants you to walk around in victory. As I said, discouragement is not from God. He doesn't want you walking around with a little cloud over your head, uh, frowning all the time because life is so tough. No, God wants you to walk in victory and in the joy of the Lord because it is your strength. doesn't mean the circumstances are already going to change, but you're going to change inside because you're connected to him and you understand that you are an overcomer in him. And I'd like to close with one last verse to encourage us from Yaakov chapter 4, verse 7, that tells us to resist the devil. Therefore, submit to God, moreover, take a stand against the adversary, and he will flee from you. There's three things that this verse is telling us. First of all, to submit to God. I just want to share how one writer put it. He said, submission to God is the fabric or the attitude that should be woven into every area of our life. I love that sentence. I'm like, I'm... I'm going to play, paste this around on my Facebook page. That is just so powerful. Submission to God is the fabric or the attitude that should be woven into every area of our life, every day of our life. It's not how much we know the Bible or God, but it's do you and I submit to the God and to the Bible, to his word. But our submission doesn't equal passivity. So the writer goes on to say the work Yaakov uses is much more an enlistment word, the taking up of allegiance to a great superior in order to engage in a fight under his banner. So as I said earlier, the reason why I know I'm a super conqueror is because I'm under the banner of God Most High. I've submitted myself to him. I've taken allegiance with him because I get it. He's on the winning side. You okay? Do you like that? You know, when you're there and they're, they're choosing teams and you can see how they're stacking up and you know which side's going to be the winning side? Well, I try to get on that winning side. I'm competitive. I like to win, right? So he's saying submit, come under the banner of God most high, align yourselves with him because he is going to lead you to victory. The second thing he says is to resist the enemy. I like how David Stern translates it. Take a stand against the enemy. Yes, he is attacking you. Join the planet earth. Everyone is being attacked by hell, whether they know it or not. So what are you going to do about it? Just sit there and let him beat you up? Sometimes I feel that's what we do. We become a punching bag for the enemy. He's punching at us, punching at us, and we're just standing there. Or we put our hands up to block it. But God says, take a stand against him, resist him. And some of you need to take those weapons from Ephesians 6 and start wielding them against the enemy and, and uh, putting him to flight. It says, resist the devil, and what will he do? He must flee. You need to start resisting hell in your life and in your family. Don't let him take your marriage. Don't let him take your children. Don't let him take your health. Don't let him take your finances. Resist him. Take a stand and say, no more will you torment me and my family. I will not tolerate you because I am under the banner of God Most High, and he has assured me of victory. Take that stand. Resist him fight 
and he must flee. Good news is you have been given all authority over every work of the evil one. So I want us to stand to our feet as I close here. I want you to be encouraged today that God is leading you in to victory. Yes, you are in a battle. You will be in a battle until the day you die and leave this earth. It is just part of human existence. That's the bad news. The good news is through Messiah, through submission to God Almighty, you are more than a conqueror, and God wants you to walk in that victory today. Amen? Before I close with the ironic benediction, I want to give opportunity for those who maybe are not connected to the Messiah. As Gary shared earlier, that's our purpose here, is to connect people to the Messiah, whether you're Jewish or not Jewish, and help you to get from where you are to where God wants you to be. You may be here for the very first time. Maybe you've been coming for weeks. Maybe you've been coming here all your life, but you've never made that personal connection to God through the Messiah. I want to give an opportunity to do that before we close with ironic benediction. You're not here by accident. Even if you have come here every day for the last five years, you're here by divine appointment because God has brought you here. And we're going to give you this opportunity to submit and surrender to God. And so we're going to say this prayer, and I'm going to encourage you. Uh, my husband uh, is going to uh, walk to the back, and I'm going to join him there in a few minutes. you have any questions about this, talk to us. Make an appointment. We'll, uh, we'll come, and we'll, we'll sit and share and tell you more about this. But God loves you. He has a purpose and a destiny for your life. That purpose and destiny will never be fulfilled on your own. It's only by connecting to him through the Messiah. So let's all pray this with me. Dear God. Thank you for bringing me here today. I choose today to submit to you. I accept Yeshua's death for me on the tree of sacrifice. Forgive my sins and wash me clean. Help me to live my life for you. Amen. Amen. You prayed that prayer for the first time. Uh, I'm going to tell you, it's a prayer that will forever change your life. I was six years old when I first prayed that prayer, and uh, it has been a good life. God has blessed me tremendously. So talk to my husband or myself about that. And if you don't fully understand it, that's okay. At six years old, I had a very limited understanding of what I was doing, although I knew it, as I've shared many times. I understood that I was doing something that adults didn't even understand, but I grew in what that decision was over the years. So it's okay if you don't have full understanding of what we just prayed. Talk to my husband and and myself, and we'll just encourage you with that. Right now, I want to speak the ironic benediction on you. We have prayer here. Uh, We'll have prayer starting at 1.30 for those who want to join us for prayer here in the sanctuary. Uh, And our youth pizza party at my house for all teens. Yay, Dan, where you at? Okay. Okay, pizza and donuts tonight. Dan's favorite, donuts. So, uh, uh, huh? <laughs> can, you, can you sneak in? <laughs> right. Blessing. May Adonai bless you and keep you. May Adonai make his face shine on you and show you his favor. May Adonai lift up his face towards you and give you peace. 
May you walk in the peace of God Almighty. May you walk as a super conqueror over every strategy of hell working in your life. In Yeshua's name, amen. God bless you. We'll see some of you at 1.30 for prayer. Others tomorrow at the ball game. God bless.